Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Talk to you about a, a subject this morning, which um, I think is going to be important for the future. This church has exploded over the last year. Talking to Jason this morning, and he said when they were here last year, there were you know, less than half of the number of folk who are here now. And, um, and God's doing something. I want you to know that it's, it's all over, but it's fairly unique for this church to, to have grown post-COVID to the extent you have. Uh, and God's obviously doing something very special in this body, and we need to recognize that and acknowledge it and be very grateful because we've had a number of churches in our well, a couple in the in the in our congregation, in our in our cluster, the uh, the churches that relate to us that have that have closed down. Uh, very very few have uh, have done well through COVID. Uh, most are a quarter to a third down. This is the only one we have that's actually doubled. You know, so so this is unique. You need to recognise that, but it comes with its challenges. And I want to talk to you this morning about a subject which I've just called, who's getting the credit? Because I think it's important for us to understand that this is a work of God. Um, and we're very privileged to be part of it. We're all sensing God's up to something. And, uh, and I want to be part of that. I don't want to mess it up. And so I want to say to you this morning, don't mess up what God's doing. <laughs> but it's often what happens is that, that it's unity that gets lost in the midst of the, of, of the work of God. And somehow the sense of, you know, we did it or we were part of this and we made it happen or whatever it is that happens because we're so human uh, messes it up. And so unity is, I believe, what will hold it together and what will enable it to fulfill what God's wanting to do in you through this church to the community around and uh, into whatever mission outreaches from here and whatever else God calls you to do. But unity demands a high level of selflessness, and that's not natural for us. It's not normal to, to not be selfish. Uh, we, we have to work at that. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Can we put that up? Psalm 133, you guys got that there? No, don't know where it's gone. All right, behold, anyway, let me just read it to you. You know the scripture, Psalm 133, and I'm just gonna read the first verse and, the, and part of the third verse. How, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, which is life forevermore. So when we dwell in unity, there is a blessing, there is, there is a life forevermore that we promised. But at the root of most interpersonal relationships is selfishness and pride and a kind of arrogance that's, that's built into us. Um, if you look at marriage problems, most marriages, when they're not working, is because of selfishness, it's because of, it's, it's because of, uh, yeah, it's because of the pride that comes up in each one of us and I'm right and you're wrong and whatever it is that, you know. And you look at church problems, church problems, by and large, over the years as we've been in ministry, the problem is that you know, somebody thinks they're right and the selflessness is just missing there. 
We, we have a kind of exhibitionism in us, you know. In the Welsh revival, the thing I know that they fought against was exhibitionist, exhibitionism. In other words, notice me, notice me. You know, I'm the one who brought the anointing. I'm the one who, that kind of thing. And we've got to be so, so very careful of that stuff. In Numbers 12, verse 3, there's a, an amazing scripture. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And guess who wrote it? Moses. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I th I, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about, whoa, how do you make that statement? I mean, this is, this is scripture. It's gonna be read forever, you know? And how do you say that about yourself? And then I realized what it was. He came to the end of himself. He was, you know, he stuttered. He was constantly aware of his weaknesses. He got to the end of himself. And so he was finding himself in God. And he knew it was God and God alone. And let me just say, it's not easy to get there. I, I don't think it comes, it doesn't come easily because just when you start thinking that I'm, I'm really humble, you know, I've, I'm a really humble guy, then you become proud of your humility. So, so it's, it's tough. I mean, this is tough. It's not, it's not an easy thing. Pride understood biblically refers to an unhealthy, elevated view of oneself, your abilities, or your possessions. That's, a, that's an understanding. It's a, the, the day it becomes unhealthy and you get an elevated view of yourself or your, your possessions, your abilities, whatever else it is, you're in trouble because pride and God do not go together. Yeah. Um, in Hebrew culture, the concept of pride is most often metaphorically um, understood with words of, of elevation, literally denoting height, if you like. And so, in a sense, what's the pecking order? Because the higher you are, the, you know, the greater your pecking ability. Um, but there's something wrong about it because it begins with Satan. He's the one who stirs this thing up in us because the moment Satan can stir up arrogance or pride or whatever it, in you, whatever it is, then we begin to compete with one another. We can begin to compare ourselves with one another and we're entering into a difficult place. Uh, Isaiah says this, and speaking now to Satan, all right, he says in Isaiah 14 verse 12, says, you said in your heart, Speaking out of Satan, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then this amazing statement, I will make myself like the most high. And there's something in us that Satan stirs that gets us to the place where we begin to think we can do it in our own strength not only that, we begin to get this pecking order where we start feeling like, I can do this. And Moses, I believe, didn't have that. When Paul writes to Timothy, he, he talks about a godlessness in the last days. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty for people will be, and then he makes these statements, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, 
ungrateful and unholy. So, so when there's this lovers of self thing that arises in us or the pride or the arrogance, we, we must know that we are stepping into Satan's will and beginning to do what he wants us to do. But Jesus leads the way for us. He set the example in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says this, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It's, it's so against our humanity to be gentle and lowly in heart. There's something in us that stirs us up to become arrogant and want to be the better and to, it's just not natural to follow as Jesus set us this example to follow. Let me just say that, that there is a place for godly pride. I, I, I believe there is, but it's always away from self. If you look at what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he says, I have great pride in you. And so I know we can say, you know, we, we have great pride in, in Rod and Val and what they're doing and the team here. We do, we have great pride, but it's away from self. He then a little further on in chapter 12, makes this statement. He says, and, and it's coming out, remember in that, in that chapter, he talks about himself having gone to the third heaven, how he had experienced things which he, could, he couldn't even speak about. And then he said, but I, I, I can't even talk about these things because he knows what would happen if he began to share some of those things. And then he makes a statement. He says, on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses because he knows that if he's going to be speaking about that man, he will be taking that to himself and boasting about himself. And so he even talks about that man in the third person, but he's talking about himself. So he was very careful not to cause people to look to him. As the message says, this is the man I want to talk about. But about myself, I'm not saying another word apart from the humiliations. And so he then goes on to share his weaknesses. Now, pride, pride you have to understand, is sin. No matter which way you look at it, it doesn't go with God. It's against him. And pride is a challenge for us. And I think, as I look back at Moses and just what we've shared this morning, I think a proud person is simply one who shifts ultimate confidence away from God and to self. It's, it's when we fail to understand everything we are, all I am and everything I do comes from God and is, you know, so God gets the glory. He's the one who gets the credit and should get the credit. And the moment I begin to shift the credit away from God and begin to bring it towards myself, I'm in trouble. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we join a church, like many of you have done in the recent past, and I think this is perhaps my concern um, and why I felt the Lord wanted me to just share this word this morning. You know, we, we say when we join the church, we're just here to serve Jesus. Um, and that's great until it's time for somebody to be thanked for what they're doing. So, so when you come in, you say, you know, pastor, I'll, I'll do whatever. Just, I just want to serve Jesus here. I just want to serve Jesus. I'll do anything. I'll serve in any way possible, you know, that you need me to. 
And then one day, there's a, one afternoon, there's a ladies' event or whatever, men's event or something, and you're asked, to do the, you're asked to do the coffee. So you do the coffee and you help and you're serving and you clean up afterwards and everything, and then the pastor gets to stand up and say thank you to the ladies and who are doing it or whoever it was, the team that was doing it, and they don't thank you because whoever organized it, and they didn't really even work hard, um, <laughs> they get thanked for doing it, and you, you just got ignored. And so then, let me just say, it's at that moment this pride kicks in. And we've all got it, and, and suddenly it matters who's getting the credit. Um, and, and so you came into the church and you said, Pastor, use me, use me, use me anywhere. Use me anywhere. I'll just, I'm, I'm here I'm here for the Lord, just use me. But after that afternoon, you go home and you tell your spouse, you know what, that church just uses me. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm being used. Um, Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing from factional motives, through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends, or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance, instead in the true spirit of humility that is in lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. <laughs> Whoa, that's a tough one, but it's there. So who's getting the credit? There's a great quote that I found from Harry Truman years back, and it's just been so powerful in my own life and in, in our, our ministry. It says this, simply this, it says, it is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. That is the most awesome statement um, from a president. It's quite something. Because it's pride that gets in the way of the unity that's needed for an accomplishment. And so I, I really want to call the church to unity, to a selflessness, to a place where God really can use you to accomplish what his purposes are for this community in this part of the vineyard. So where are you getting your affirmation from then? Because it's not, it's not wrong to, to be affirmed. Um, but where's your well done coming from? because we do need to be appreciated. And I, I mean, I, when I was preparing this a while back, I just remembered when I was a kid, I probably was 10 or 11 years of age. And Sunday afternoon would come. We always had a good Sunday, Sunday dinner at, at, you know, at midday. It was a sort of South African thing that you did. A, that's when the, the roast chicken or whatever was done, you know. And, and so mom used to do that. And then they would then go and have a snooze on Sunday afternoon, for a 10-year-old, my sister was at boarding school and I, I'd be on my own. And those of you who can remember, there's nothing worse that parents can do to the children than to go and sleep on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I was just nothing worse. And, and so what I used to do, I used to go and I would then wash the dishes. Now we didn't have dishwashers in those days. It was all by hand and then I would go into, while my mom and dad were having a snooze, I'd go in and get into the kitchen and I'd wash everything. Not only that, I'd polish it all up. So the whole sink, everything was shining when they came in. And then mom would get up you know, from her sleep and she'd come into the kitchen and she'd, oh, Boise, what a wonderful little boy you are. 
And something stirs in those moments and you recognize that I can do something for reward. And it's not wrong, but we've got to, we've got to remember that we can never build kids into ourselves and we should never build spiritual sons and daughters into ourselves. We should not be, and Rod said a thing this morning, which is, which is our, our heart. If you join the church here, you're not built into them. You're not built into us. Belong to Jesus. And if we don't get that thing right, you begin to perform for man and not for the king. And so it starts when you're young. Now, it's not wrong. It's not evil. It's not, a, it's not a thing we need to be afraid of. But I would wash those dishes just to get my mom to recognize what a good boy I am. And before he, before he accomplished anything in life, Jesus was acknowledged as a good boy. <laughs> if you think back, when Jesus just went to be baptized, he came up out of the water and the, you know, the dove settled upon him. But but the words from heaven from his father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. No miracles, no healings, no suffering yet, nothing of what was coming, but I'm pleased with you. And we need to understand that's who we are. He's pleased with you long before you've had to perform or performed in order, in order for him to be pleased with you. So that's important because if you go right back to Genesis, he blessed man and then gave him the job. So he, he was blessed before he got the job. And so you don't have to do anything to be blessed. You just have to receive it. You just have to be. Once you're his child, that's it. You are blessed. And you don't have to perform in order to receive the acceptance, the love, the recognition. But unfortunately, as we have grown up in our humanity, we, we grew up with this watch me, watch me. And you know what it's like when the, when the little boys get together, they run across, you know, they'll run across the grass of the field, they run across that field and who gets there first? Watch me, watch me. And I mean, there's just this thing in us, isn't there? Constantly. So we become desperate for recognition. We become desperate for, you know, I guess, acceptance and receiving the attention and whatever. And, and we, we're desperate to be, to be appreciated. Now, we've got to focus that into God. Otherwise, it's going to become a problem. When boys grow up, their, their first thing is, you know, they're acknowledged for their, their athletic ability. And then a little bit later in life, it's your academic ability. And then your, when you get to puberty, it's your looks. You know, who's the good-looking guy? Um, and then it becomes money. And later on, it's power, isn't it? So, so power drives you, the. For girls, it may be slightly different because when they're young, although there is some overlap, obviously, it's the cute, pretty little one who gets the attention and then, and it's, it's Satan's way um, because the lovely hair or whatever it is or, you know, being artistic, it, it not, not infrequently ends up with beauty being the qualifier and not an inner beauty, but an outer beauty. And we need to be careful for a few you know, then it's athletic ability and brain power and political power, money, whatever it is. But I've often wondered, why did Eve eat the forbidden fruit? Because we go right back to that and it gives us a bit of insight. I think it promised to make her something she was not. She, she, was, she was deeply unhappy with who she was. 
like many, many people are, and I think it, it does affect women in particular in that way. I'm, I'm not happy with who I am. And so there's a constant searching for something, not sure what. If you don't find that in God, you're in trouble. But it promised to make her something she was not. And then why did Adam come along? And he submitted to, to her and took the fruit and ate as well. Why did he do that? I, I think because he was looking for her approval. And so he traded obedience, obedience to God, that is, for the approval of Eve. And I want to say you have to be very careful of trading obedience for approval. Never trade obedience to God for the approval of man. The, the, the word is clear. Do you want to please man or do you want to please God? And you can't do both. And marriage is not the place where you should find your approval. You've got to find it in God. See, do you like me, Eve? Am I the man? You know, have I got what it takes? And, and Eve is not meant to affirm you. It's, it's God who needs to do that. Marriage doesn't solve your insecurity, by the way. It makes it much worse. Um, <laughs> It's a huge weakness in us. We think, you know, we're going to solve all our problems getting married because then we're going to be, the two will be one. Oh, yeah, having a baby makes it even more, worse, yeah. But, but having said that, look, we do need, uh, little boys, need, they need a man to say, you're okay, you know, you're going to make it. It's good, well done. Good job, buddy. You know, those are the things that, that you do. But as you grow older, unless you're built into Christ, you're going to come short somewhere. You're going to come, you know, we need to channel people towards God. Men and women, boys and girls have all got to be channeled towards God. Otherwise, there's a huge deception. And we, if we don't grow up ultimately hearing the Father's voice and the Father saying to you, well done, you know, or affirming you, we're in trouble. So leaders in church, and I want to say this because this is such a failing of so many churches. Leaders are human and they have a huge need for their ego to be stroked. You need to understand that. I'm, I'm a leader. I've been there. I know. I've, I've watched. It's a, it's a real weakness. But folk who join leaders or who follow leaders, they have a huge weakness as well, and that is they want to be accepted. And so you get this ungodly, unhealthy codependency where the leader needs to be affirmed and the people need to be accepted. And it, it's not healthy because if we don't build people into Jesus, we're going to miss the mark. So channel them towards God. Otherwise, we live in a deception. We all need to hear the Father's voice. And yeah, acceptance is, is not what we're looking for here. We're looking simply to, to serve the living God. And so we build people into, into Jesus. And Rod said it this morning. He's the everlasting father. I used to say when I took new members into our church back home, I used to say to them, if ever you feel like you're becoming dependent on me, if ever you're looking to me as your solution, I want to say to you, run away with long legs and move them very fast. <laughs> Because you don't want me, you don't need me, you need Jesus. And Jesus, shall, he, he, Jesus tells a, a telling story. I, I never understood this until I was working through this stuff. 
out of Luke chapter 17. I want to read it to you. It says, man, did I hate this, this, this uh, proverb or this, um, this, this parable? I, I just, I couldn't get it. I thought, man, this is so unfair. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat, and then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, we spend a lot of time teaching people how God is our father and he's you know, the king and we get to be king's kids and all this stuff. And that's, and that's true. But I think Jesus told us this story so that we would never be confused about why we do things, particularly in church life, because this is where we gather together, that we would understand that we do things here not for the thank you, not for some sort of entitlement, because having done it, we think then we're entitled to something. No, Jesus said, when you've done the job, then get on and do the next one. And that's tough. So we should have no unrealistic expectation as a reward for our obedience. Can I say that again? Have no unrealistic expectation, expectation of a reward for obedience. Because we simply did what we were told. Jesus got it at baptism. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So we receive that well done, good and faithful servant on the basis of obedience, not on the basis of performance. Please hear me. Accomplishing, succeeding, these are not things that God is impressed with because the accomplishment and the success is his. And particularly when it comes to our lives, when we get you know, and do something which is of significance, he is behind it. And we have simply been obedient. And it's the obedience that is what uh, is the achievement in a sense, in that sense. So, so let's not get, you know, never get confused about that. It's not based, this well done, on achievements like money and success. And, and even within the church, how many seats were filled? It's not linked to that. Not linked to performance. But please hear me, it's linked to obedience. There have been missionaries who went to China, were there for 20 years, never got a single convert. I mean, there's stories of those guys who went there. They, they sacrificed their lives and never got a single convert. I believe with all my heart they will stand before the Lord one day. And he will say, what did you do? And he, they will say, we did what you told us. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. But the mission society who sent them will fail them. And that's the challenge. So what did you do? Well, Lord, I just, I did what I was told. I will never forget in the early days when I first started preaching. Um, and we would, have a, we would have a Saturday evening soaking meeting. And then at one stage we had four, for 18 months we ran four services on a Sunday. And I would preach the same message four times. Now, let me just say, when you get to the fourth time, the joke's not funny. You can't remember if you told it anymore. You know, it's just, it gets, it's a disaster. Anyway, I would get to the end of the day having preached my heart out, done my very best, spent the week before that preparing. 
And I'd get to the end of that meeting. And when you've been preaching for a while, people don't come up and say, well, well done, pastor. That was a great message. They go home. And so you, you finally, you left there alone. And uh, anyway, you, you know, you, you then get into the, into the car and you drive home after pouring your life out. And as you're driving home, you're just, you're just hoping someone would say, that was a good message. Yeah, well done. That was, a, that was a good message you preached. But Eve is, she's absolutely quiet, doesn't say a word. And, I, and, and, and so I'm left, I'm left driving, and Eve is next to me, and she doesn't say anything. And nobody in the congregation said, and it's four services I've preached my heart out. And... Um, and then I get home and still nobody says, and the phone doesn't go. I look at my phone, there are no messages. Nobody said a word. Nobody. And what did I do wrong? What did, what did I say that was, you, you know the feeling? Yeah. What did I, goodness, what? And then I'd wake up Monday morning, and Monday morning, Dave has always said, Monday mornings when you go to the newspaper and you look in the job column. Because you're thinking, oh man. This is a tough job, and maybe I should be doing something else. And, um, and then I would eventually, I would go to the Lord. And you think to yourself, why didn't you do that in the first place? Because I grew up washing dishes for my mom, and I had to deal with that stuff. Okay? So I deal with that stuff, and finally on Monday morning, I go and I say, Father, what's going on? What did I do wrong? And I, I, would, I would just hear that still small voice saying, did you do what I told you to do? Did you speak the word that I gave you to speak? And I'd say, yes, Lord, that's all I had. I, yes, I did what you told me to do. Now, you've got to watch my head carefully because in my spirit, man, I see Father looking down at me kindly, but all he does is little nod. That's what that Luke scripture is that I've just read to you. That's what it's about. It's to get you through moments like that. But in that moment, you don't think I'm entitled now to be thanked for what I did because I just did what I was told. And you've got to get that in your heart. You've got to get that right inside of you when you become a member of a congregation or a, you become part of the church. We're not here to serve it, uh, to, to, for, for it to serve us. We're here to serve it. We're here to serve him. He is the one who should receive all the credit. It's not about you, about him. And the sooner we get that right, the better. You're already accepted. And we're obedient not to be accepted, but because we are accepted, because we are love, loved. And uh, see, otherwise, this thing is very powerful. Let me just say, girlfriend and boyfriend, issues become a huge problem when he says to her, if you love me, you'll sleep with me. Because it's, it, it's totally out of order. And she will do it because of the need to be appreciated and loved. And it's ungodly and it's out of, it's out of line. It's manipulation. It happens when, because of this huge driving force and the manipulation involved, it happens in gangs, young, young guys who are not affirmed, who don't find their affirmation in God or in 
you know, with other men. They, back home in South Africa, the gangs there, certainly where we live, in some of the, in some of the areas, your entry into the gang is by shooting somebody. And they will do that just to receive the acceptance of being part of because of this need to be affirmed. It's frightening. But Jesus said, you know, he loves us. The Lord, God the Father loves you before you did anything. And Jesus said, then how is it possible for you to call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Because it's only about what he says. That's where the reward lies, I believe. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who calls, who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who actually do, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, performed many miracles in your name. But I reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you, you who break God's laws. It was all about obedience. So, so here's the possibility that you as a mom are called by God to look after the children because they're young. And it's, let me say, staying at home looking after kids is a tough thing. But you're this, prof, you're this prophetess, and so you go on a world cruise prophesying all over the world. Great success prophesying over many people. And God says, you know, when you tell him we prophesied, I prophesied in your name, Lord. Cast out demons in your name. He says, I don't know you. I told you to stay at home and look after the kids because that was the season for it. And then they grew up and they were not what they should have been because you weren't there for them. I mean, that's what that scripture means. It's quite frightening. So where are you getting your affirmation from? And are you, are you playing your instrument for the, for the audience of one? Because that's all that matters. It's him and him alone. And the spiritual moms and dads, are we, are we sometimes messing up the spiritual kids because we don't get this thing right? Putting ideas in their heads or teaching them to perform for love, teaching them to perform for acceptance. And that would go for our biological as well as our, as well as our spiritual children. I've got a moment, just I, I told the men a story last week and it just, I'm reminded of it again. It's just such a powerful story of a dad who was a coach, football coach and a college football coach, and he, his team won that year. And I know that here in the States, it's a massive thing. So he gets to be interviewed on television. And uh, the interviewer says to him, so coach, your team did so well this year. And the coach's son was the captain of the team that won. And so he says to the to the coach, he says, you must be so proud of your son. And the coach thinks for a moment and then he says, you know what? He says, I am proud of him and he did a great job leading the team this year. But I would be just as proud of him if he'd never played football at all. That's the God we serve. He's proud of you. You don't have to perform. He loves you because you are, you exist. He created you. You've been given his name. You've been called by his name. We're called his sons and daughters. He's adopted us into his family. He's loved us unconditionally. You are already accepted and you've been given an inheritance. Not much more we could want in life. 
So when affirmation comes from him, I think we will find ourselves no longer striving with one another. We, we will be able to prefer one another and we'll stop trying to be something that we're not. Stop straining for, you know, for a performance or acceptance. Stop looking for the appreciation of others. Doing things with the wrong motives, looking to Eve or to Adam to affirm me. Looking to the gang, and let me say there are gangs in, in churches. I don't know if you're aware of that. Watch how they dress. They all dress together. They all hang out together. They all drink coffee together. <laughs> don't look at me like that. <laughs> and then whoever wants to be part of that gang doesn't get to be part of it, and we don't do what we're supposed to do because we're part of the gang. And, so we, and then they start dressing together. And let me just say this. It may be fine, but although that gang is a place where I'm validated and it affects how I dress and how I behave and who I hang out with, it's also the place where I get hurt because it's not God. Father of lies can take you out when you're looking in the wrong place for your affirmation. 139, Psalm 139 verse 14 says this. It says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made for we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship created or recreated in Christ Jesus. We recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we do not, that we do these good works which God predestined for us. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians says that we should walk in these ways, living in the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So I want to say to you today, it's okay. You're in Christ. You're doing fine. You'll make it because it's him. And so as we build the church, remember it's Jesus who will build his church. And we have a great statement in Church of the Nations, which is this, that everyone is equal in value and worth. We're just different in function. And be satisfied with the function, the gifting, and the place God puts you in. Romans 12 verse 5 says, So it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body. And each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others and then he says in verse 6 of chapter 12, the next verse, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. That's his gift to you. Do those things well for his glory. Have no sense of a need for appreciation because it's all by his grace. And then Paul says, and don't overestimate yourself. Romans 12, 3, as God's messenger, I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. So we have a sober assessment of ourselves. But when I understand it's all about him, then I can cope and have no need of man's affirmation. As I said, it's not that it's evil. It's just not the best. So let's close our eyes and we just focus a little on our father this morning who has loved you unconditionally, who has called you by name, 
given you an inheritance, given you his name. And can you then just pray with me? I'm just going to make some statements and ask you just to acknowledge and agree with those in your heart if you, if you do. And because I do believe it sets us free from this competitive, um, selfish nature that is ours. I'm not in competition. Lord, I pray this morning and I make this, this decision that I'm not in competition with anyone in this church or in the church at large. And Lord, I, I'm not comparing myself with anyone. Won't do that anymore, Lord. And I'm not desiring a position over anyone. And I won't be threatened by anyone in that. And I'm choosing this day to serve the audience of one with a pure heart because you have loved me. I want in obedience to respond to you and do what you, what you call me to do. Out of the purity of your love for me, I will respond, Lord, in obedience and I'll do your will. Father, this morning I focus myself on a greater vision, one that one that goes beyond me. But I agree this morning that I will I'll bring my part. I'll bring my gifting and my anointing here into this body to serve the whole. Understanding always that whatever I do here and whatever we do as a church as coastal is for your glory and yours alone. I'm just at the end of the day, a servant of the King. And thank you, Lord, that I need to do nothing to perform. Amen. As I close, I have a, just a last statement to make. When I was at boarding school, I, I went to an, you'd call it an Episcopalian uh, school. It was an Anglican school in South Africa. And our headmaster used to read a, an Anglican prayer over us so many times. I, there was one line in it that has stuck with me all these years. It's the, the part that says this. It says, Lord, grant me the reward of knowing that I've done your will. That's it. That's the reward. The reward is the knowledge that I did what I was told to do. Not even thank you for it, but just that I know that I did what you said. And we look forward to the words one day when we come before the great throne. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter your rest. Till then, we serve him with glad hearts, grateful, grateful hearts. But who's getting the credit? May Jesus, may Jesus get all the credit. Amen. Amen.